Welcome to Get With IT, a podcast by IT Ops Times. The host today is Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of IT Ops Times. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for being with us here on the uh, IT Ops Times podcast, Get With IT. Uh, today's topic, we're going to be talking about service mesh. And who better to speak about the subject than William Morgan? He's the CEO at Buoyant. Uh, which is the company that created uh, Linkerd, the first uh, open source service mesh uh, that uh, he said was created around um, early uh, 2016. And by 2017, it was already in the CNCF, has since become the only service mesh project to achieve graduate status in the CNCF. So uh, very excited to have you with us here today, uh, William. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Okay. So um, one of the things I just wanted to start with asking is uh, when service meshes are relevant to an operation and when perhaps they should not be uh, used or they don't fit. Yeah. So if if we think about kind of the value prop of a service mesh, you know, the, like all software is a trade-off, right? And what the service mesh gives you is a set of features around security, a set of features around reliability, a set of features around observability. And that's what you're getting. And then the trade-off is, well, now you have to, you know, add a service mesh to your system. And how painful is that? And I think the, to answer your question, the biggest prerequisite for that trade-off being, you know, a, a good one to make is, are you running Kubernetes? If you're running Kubernetes, then I think a service mesh can give you something really valuable very quickly. If you're not, then you can, you know, you can get there, but I think it's a, it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, there's a lot of um, uh, features and and pieces to the service mesh. Uh, And I guess all of that would fall under a broader umbrella of the enterprise architect. So what is the role of the enterprise architect in working uh, with a service mesh? Yeah, so when we see the service mesh being adopted, there's there's kind of two paths that we see. And I I should say that the, the audience of the service mesh is what we call the platform owner. You know, it's the Kubernetes, uh, the person who's, who's or team that's building the Kubernetes platform. They're serving developers. The audience is not the developers themselves, right? Um, if we do our jobs right in, in service mesh land, then ideally, I think the developers don't actually see the service mesh at all. So really our audience is, is the platform team. And so when we see adoption of service mesh in practice, we kind of see two patterns. We see bottom up and we see top down. And bottom up is, oh, I'm an SRE or I'm a DevOps person or I'm, you know, a Kubernetes operator and I'm bringing in the service mesh because I'm, you know, I have to do something uh, that the service mesh solves. Like I have gRPC traffic and like by default on Kubernetes, gRPC traffic is not load balanced for reasons mm-hmm. and a service mesh can like like linkerd can can fix that for you right and the other path we see is the enterprise architect path this is you know one where it's more a little more planned okay we're building this platform or we want to build this platform what is it's going to be built on kubernetes we're going to use you know this ci cd system this progressive delivery system whatever it is what is the role of the service mesh there and which one should I pick and how do I, you know, incorporate that into this platform that we're building? Mm-hmm. Great. So uh, I know that one of the things that uh, is discussed when people talk about service message, uh, service meshes, uh, that's easy to say, right? <laughs> um, is the, the uh, concept of mutual TLS. So I'm curious to know uh, what that is and how it might work. 
Yeah, so that's one of the biggest drivers of adoption for Linkerd today is is mutual TLS, and it's often framed as you know, oh, this is how we get encryption for all our traffic inside the cluster. But in reality, mutual TLS gives you a lot more than that. So TLS, as you know, is the you know kind of at this point uh, ubiquitous uh, on the internet, which is a, a great thing, you know, not where we were you know, a decade or two ago. But TLS is kind of the central communication security mechanism that we have at hand on the internet. And what mutual TLS does is basically exactly the same, only we do authentication on on both sides. So, you know, when my browser talks to your website, I'm authenticating that your website is who it is, but your browser, your website doesn't really care, you know, who my browser is. But in mutual TLS, Right, we do this inside a Kubernetes cluster, and we say, "Okay, service A needs to talk to service B. How do I make that connection secure? You know, how do I encrypt it? But also, how do I authenticate it? How do I make sure that A is who they say they are, and B is who they say they are? And that's what mutual TLS provides. So you get connection security, you know, uh, which means you get uh, encryption of data, or what we call confidentiality. You get integrity, and then you also get this really important property of authenticity. I know that you are A, I know that you are B, and on top of that, you know, you can now start talking about access policy. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, so uh, talking about eBPF, we did an article on that uh, recently with uh, with a, a company that provides uh, uh, internet uh, reliability. Uh, and, and in service meshes, we also talk about uh, sidecars, per host proxies, things like that. So how does that all kind of tie together? How do they all relate to each other? Yeah, that's, a, that's kind of an ongoing uh, you know, debate, I think, in the industry. Uh, for better or for worse, this, this ecosystem is very hype-driven. And if you're very good at marketing, you can kind of you know, build, into, build on top of that uh, you know, character flaw. And so I think there's a lot of buzz around eBPF right now that doesn't really withstand uh, scrutiny. So what is eBPF? Well, it's it's a fancy way of offloading work to the kernel. And in networking land, it means that we can do certain things, you know, layer three, layer four processing, especially in a very fast way, right? That we couldn't really do in, in, in user space. So that, that part is really cool. The problem is when you move to, uh, you know, layer seven processing, eBPF basically can't get there. It's very limited by design because it's running in the kernel, right? So um, one idea is, well, can we use eBPF as a way of implementing our service mesh? And, you know, does that allow us to then, um, you know, have our service mesh not as these, you know, sidecar proxies, which is kind of the common approach today, but instead, can we just have the kernel do that? And for a variety of reasons, it turns out you can't easily do that. In fact, it, you know, it, it kind of makes things worse in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So this is an active area of, of discussion. For Linkerd, you know, our focus has always been on operational simplicity. So once you have a service mesh running, how do we make it so this, this thing is very predictable, it's very understandable, it's very observable, right? And to do that, the best way that we have found is is sidecars. It's a very clear model, especially for, you know, when we talk about security boundaries. And so for the time being, we continue investing in that um, with eBPF maybe as a, a thing we could use in the future to, to speed up certain portions of it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So I know that um, uh, Boyant recently uh, released uh, an ebook 
um, detailing things about service mesh. So how did that come to be and, and what were you hoping to uh, achieve with that publication? Yeah, well, so I have a long chapter in there about eBPF where I go into all the details about, you know, <laughs> what is the trade-off between sidecars and and is it actually eBPF versus sidecars or are those, you know, uh, you know, is that is that really the decision? You know, uh, hint, no, it's not. They're, they're two independent choices. Um, but the goal with this ebook was we wanted to collect all of this uh, information that that we've assembled over the years. You know, our our job at Buoyant is we help companies adopt the service mesh. We help them adopt Linkerd. We help them become successful. And so that you know, all of that accumulated wisdom, which ranges from you know technical specifics, but you know, really more of it is kind of organizational help. We've we've tried to collect that all into this one uh, ebook. I think it's like you know, over 50 pages. Uh, so it's pretty serious stuff. And it's high, you know, it's not marketing fluff. So it's like this is high quality content, very engineer focused, you know, and, and designed to kind of guide you around the, the various decisions you have to make when you're trying to be successful at implementing a service mesh in production at, at a larger organization. Right. So what are, the, what are some of the problems that organizations that haven't yet adopted service mesh but are trying to do Kubernetes, uh, what kind of problems are they facing? Yeah, so I think one big problem is just navigating through the mass of, uh, you know, marketing and hype and buzz that's out there and, and trying to distinguish, well, there's these seven different things, which ones are real and which ones are made up, you know, which ones are serious and which ones are you know, uh, marketing driven and navigating that is non-trivial, you know, even for someone, uh, as, as wizened and, and, uh, you know, uh, weathered as, as me in this industry, it's still hard to cut through that stuff. Uh, I'd say another big challenge is, um, you know, uh, understanding your operational kind of, uh, burden, right? Like it's very easy to add software, to your stack. It's very easy to say, okay, we're going to pick this and this and this and like, okay, go run it. The reality is once you're actually running it, well, now you have to, you know, it's not just set it and forget it, right? Like now you have to monitor it. Now you have to have alerting that makes sense. Now you have to keep things up to date. Now you have to know when there's a security vulnerability, like, do I have to patch this? The whole Kubernetes ecosystem itself is so fast moving. Mm-hmm. Even just running this thing takes effort. So how do you think about that burden do you have to hire a team of engineers now just to maintain your service mesh or can you uh you know like what 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 is this burden that you're going to be taking on so we try and give you some um you know uh some guidance around that and and how to minimize that and how to get the most bang for your buck basically Mm -hmm. So do you track um, the uptake of Linkerd and see like how many people are using it or, you know, and how they've installed it or how successful they've been with that? Or you have yeah, we have, you know, that? we have a couple of sources. We have some rough aggregate metrics that talk about distribution in the wild. You know, certainly we know our customers very, very well. We're very engaged, you know, and uh, right. so we have a couple of data sources. I think I published a blog post near the end of last year. So just a couple of months ago. Um, where we showed that Linkerd adoption in the open source community actually doubled last year, which is pretty amazing for a you know a, a mature project. Usually by now you've kind of hit your, you know, you've hit the 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 flatter part of the S curve, mm-hmm. um, but we're still growing like crazy. Right. What usually seems, uh, if you know this, uh, you know, what is the problem that organizations face that they say, okay, we have to go get Linkerd now and get started with this? I mean, there's got to be some need that the organization has that they go out to get it, 
So what, what is it a common thing that most organizations start at a certain place or is it a, you know, company by company or organization by organization? Every case is, you know, is a little unique, but we do so, see some pretty broad trends. You know, one big one, as you pointed out, is mutual TLS, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we've built, invested in Kubernetes. We're on the cloud now. Oh, we just realized we have no control over the network at all, and this traffic is going through Amazon's network or, you know, the Azure network or Google's network. You know, mm-hmm. we need to encrypt all this. How do we do that? Well, we could, uh, you know, go talk to every developer team and have them, write TLS, you know, on the service, or we could just drop in something like Linkerd, right? right? So that's one big one, um, especially for compliance, you know, organizations that have compliance challenges, whether it's because they're banking or because, you know, they've got PII or, or they're in the healthcare space, making sure that your data is encrypted in transit and not just encrypted, but that you have a, you know, workload identity and you have authorization policy built up that makes sense. We're not, you know, we can't use IP addresses anymore. That's not valid in the, you know, in the, in the modern world um, for, for identifying our workloads. So that's a big one, uh, you know, policy and compliance and Kubernetes. I think another big one is we're building this internal platform, right? We're, we, okay, we're moving into the modern world. We're adopting Kubernetes. You know, we're going to write our new services here. Or we're going to migrate our old ones. What do we have to do to make this platform reliable and secure? And, you know, like I said uh, earlier, I think the the value of Kubernetes, part of what makes Kubernetes itself so powerful is that it is a, it's a part of a platform and it has these boundaries, these well-delineated boundaries where it says, this is what I'm going to do. And then you need to add X, Y, and Z. Right, and one of those things is a service mesh. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, one last uh, question. I did um, see a, a news announcement recently about Linkerd and Giant Swarm working together in some way. Do you uh, have any uh, insight on that, or, or tell us what to, what that's all about? We do a lot of um, kind of uh, uh, workshops with uh, other companies in the ecosystem where we try and educate the audience, you know, the cloud native audience, especially here's how you can use Linkerd plus X. Here's how you can, you know, integrate Linkerd with whatever it is. So that's one of the, you know, many education focused workshops that we do mm-hmm. uh, up there in the, in the ecosystem. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause certainly integration is kind of what service meshes are all about, right? That's right. Yeah. And it sits, you know, the service mesh sits at the intersection of a lot of stuff that's going on, right. you know, so it, it has to play nicely with everything else in your, in your stack. Sure. Sure. All right. Uh, William Morgan, CEO at Buoyant, the creators, of course, of Linkerd. Thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Okay. And to all our listeners, thanks for joining us again. Until next time, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of IT Ops Times. So long for now. <laughs>